it says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance of his saints. And here's the part I love. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Let me tell you why I love that so much. Because it says, what is the exceeding greatness? Paul didn't just say that God was great. And we sing about God being so great. He said his exceeding greatness. And you know the words that says that, that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above and beyond anything we could ask for, anything you can even think of, anything we could hope for. And you know, I was thinking as I was reading that scripture last night that God is incomparable. There's nothing. Sometimes we just take God and we make him a little bit bigger than we are and a little bit more wise than the wisest person we can think of and a little bit more holy than the most holy person we know like me or something you know like you might think of he might be just a little more holy than me I don't know but you know we make him a little bit bigger than we are but God's not that way he is incomparable nothing you can think of nothing you've ever seen no one you've ever met or even heard of has anything on God he's incomparable and do you know one thing about this scripture that tells me because of his exceeding greatness is that it's not about you and it's not about me. It's not about the things that we are. It's about who God is in us. So if we can make God big in us, he'll be bigger than any marriage problem you've faced, any problem with your children, any problem with your parents, any problem with your finances, any problem with your health, he is greater. And you can't even imagine how much greater. So if we can trust God, exalt God above our circumstances, God will come through. God will meet that need. Amen? So I encourage you as you're going through this week, exalt God every chance you get above your circumstances. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Aren't you glad to have her back? Amen. I tell you what, for those of you that don't know, some of you visiting today, Trisha had a hysterectomy about six weeks ago, and she's been feeling so much better. I'm thinking about getting one. So I, 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 I'm going to try one of those out because, I mean, she seems to be doing all good. What is that anyway? No. I'm sorry, I just couldn't help it. I can't help it a lot, can I? <laughs> well, if you're a guest today, we're really glad that you're here, and I don't believe it's a mistake that you're here today. I've talked to a couple people just this morning in passing and said, Pastor, I'm expecting God to do something today. And I know every time I get up here, I realize there are some people in here, you're kind of on your last leg. This may be your last shot, and I know that. And I want you to know that God is real. And more importantly than God being real, He knows your name. And he loves you. And no matter what you're, what's going on in your life, no matter what situation you face right now, God can do something about it, and he wants to. He loves you. The Bible tells us in John 3, 16, it's the most quoted verse in the New Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for you. And you know, some of you are sitting out there today, and you're saying, okay, I understand God loves the world, but, but what about me? I want you to understand something. For God so loved you. Insert your name in there. He loves you. And I'm convinced that if you were the only person on this planet, no matter what you've done, Jesus would have still died for you. 
That's how much God loves you. So no matter what you're facing today, God can do something about it. Amen? Well, if you've got your Bible, hold it up. Repeat after me. Say, this is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's Word. It's His truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, a little girl was uh, attending a wedding. It was the first time she'd ever gone to a wedding, you know, a little five, six-year-old girl. She was so excited, and, and she's watching what's going on, and she's talking to her mom about different things. And she said, Mommy, why is the bride wearing white? Why is she wearing that white dress? And the mom said, Well, that dress represents her joy and her happiness. This is just the most happy day of her life. And she sat there for a few minutes, and then she said, Mommy, why is the groom wearing black tuxedo? <laughs> I'll let you think about that. Um, <laughs> bless his heart. Uh, a Sunday school teacher asked the children just before she dismissed them to go to church, why is it necessary to be quiet in church? And they all sat there for a minute. One little boy raised his hand and said, I know. She goes, why is it, little Johnny? He said, so we don't wake up all the sleeping people. <laughs> well, this morning we're not going to sleep, are we? <laughs> No, I believe uh, we're, we're starting the second week in our series called Encountering God. And really, this whole month is about understanding how we can encounter God. And, and I see over and over in the scripture where there were these points where people had this encounter with God. And from that place forward, they were different. And I want to tell you, for many of us in this room, there's a time that we can go back in our life. And we can look and we can realize there was a day, there was a minute, there was a second when we actually had an encounter with God, and it changed everything. For some of you, it was at church camp. For some of you, it was here. For some of you, maybe it was in your bedroom at home. For some of you, maybe it was outside somewhere. But there was a point in time where you had a real encounter with God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And when that happened, it changed everything for you. Well, you know what? That's not supposed to be a one-time experience. That's not a one-time deal. We have the ability in our relationship with God to have encounters with him often, but we have to learn how to do that. And today, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Elijah and Elisha. And now, Elijah was a prophet, and you know how prophets back in the Old Testament, they'd wander around and do things, and, and Elijah had come down to near the end of his ministry. He knew his time on earth was very short, and he had the, his assistant, Elisha, who had formerly, now this is interesting, Elisha used to run a plow out on a farm. He followed a bunch of oxen around and, and plowed up fields. And I want you to know today, and as I was reading this, I thought about it. Some of you feel like you can't be a minister for God because of your vocation. I want you to understand something. God's not interested in what your vocation is. He's interested in your heart. And God can use anybody. Case in point. <laughs> but the reality is God can use you in your job. God can use you in school. You don't have to have a degree in theology to have a relationship with God. And you don't have to have a degree in theology to be a pastor or a bishop or whatever or a deacon to have impact on people's lives. God can empower you exactly where you are. And Elisha is a good example of that. Elisha was out working on a plow one day, and the next day he's in the ministry. So here's Elisha and Elijah, and they're walking down the road, and Elisha knows that Elijah's time is almost up, and now he's going to be in charge. 
And so you can imagine what that must feel like. You've been following this prophet, and now he's about to retire, and you're about to be in charge. So this is a pretty serious situation for Elisha, isn't it? And our text today is going to help us understand that there were four different places that these guys went geographically, but they represented four different places spiritually. And I can tell you right now in your life, you're at one of these places. And we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to talk about how you can have an encounter with God. If you've got your Bibles, they're up on the screens. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And when the Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Everybody say Gilgal. Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then Elijah said to Elisha, The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. I want you to understand the significance of this. Every location they were getting ready to go to, Elijah gave Elisha the opportunity to stop. And I was doing some reading this week. I actually sent out an email to some of the folks on our team. There's a book called Outliers that really talks about this. But it talks about how we really have a tremendous amount of capacity in our own lives. God has uniquely created each person in this room with gifts and abilities. You are handcrafted. One of the scriptures talks about, one of the translations says, you are his masterpiece. You are God's work of art. And when I say he knows you by name, he handcrafted you in the womb. God specifically made you. And he made you with this huge capacity that as you come into deeper relationship with him, you can really accomplish some amazing things. But here's the deal. It's not that you have the ability to do that. It's whether you do it or not. And that's really on us. See, so many of us in life expect God to do everything when the reality is Jesus has already come. He's already died on the cross. He's already bought our salvation. The Holy Spirit has already come. You've already been handcrafted with gifts and abilities. And so, in other words, God has gone 99 and a half yards on the football field. And you've got a half yard to go, but he's not going to do it for you. You know, that book, Outliers, says this. It says, if anyone spends 10,000 hours doing something, they'll become an expert at it. And what made me think about that this week is there was a basketball player named Chris Mannix. And Chris Mannix had gone out and he'd he'd just broken all kinds of shooting records and all these other things. And he he was now the leading, I think, assister or scorer or whatever they call it in basketball. I'm a football guy. But anyway, he's really good. (laughs) But this guy's broken all kinds of records, assured his place in the Hall of Fame. But here was the thing that was so interesting. They interviewed his coaches and they interviewed other players that had played with him. And they all said this. They said it's not his skill, it's his work ethic. He's there for practice early every day. He practices harder than anybody else. He eats a very disciplined meal. And this guy was like in his mid-30s, which, again, he's older for a professional basketball player. But they said he's playing better than he's ever played. And as I sat there and read this article, this sports article, God really began to speak to my heart. 
I've given you the ability. What are you going to do with it? That guy had taken the ability that God had given him and had multiplied it because of his discipline and his effort. And as we read about encounters with God, we have to understand that God has an expectation on us. He expects us to do something. We can't sit around and wait for him. He's called us to move forward. We need to step into what he's called us to do. Amen? Well, the first place these guys stopped was Gilgal. That's a mouthful, isn't it? How'd you like to be from Gilgal? Where are you from, Gilgal? That's got to be in Arkansas somewhere. I mean, you know. And so they, they stop at Gilgal. But here's the thing. Where is it? Ash flat. Ash flat. <laughs> That's the truth, isn't it? Oh, goodness. Well, they stopped at Gilgal. And you've got to understand, when places in Scripture, they have a name. And you need to understand there's a reason those places have this name. So we need to look back and understand what does Gilgal mean? What, what is the purpose of Gilgal and why did they go there first? Well, if you look down at Joshua chapter 4 verses 19 through 24, it's the first time we hear about Gilgal. And the story is basically this. The, the, Canaan, the Israelites had crossed the river Jordan and they moved into the promised land. And the first place they stopped and camped was Gilgal. The first place they stopped. So they cross the river. They're now where the promised land is. They stop. They take 12 stones because when they crossed the Jordan River, it dried up, and they removed stones from the bottom of the river. They built an altar. And here's what the word says about that. And, and Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you had crossed over. The Lord your God did this to the Jordan, just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we crossed over. And listen to this last sentence. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. What Gilgal means to us is salvation. Gilgal represents our salvation. I want you to understand something today. That's the place that you start. That's the key ingredient in your life. That's the key encounter you're ever going to have with God is salvation. You've got to have an experience with God. How many of you remember the day you were saved? You remember? You remember the place? You remember all those things? That is your Gilgal. And the reason they set up those stones is so that whenever they look back, they could remember that landmark reminded them of that occasion. And you need to think back. I know I think back often of my salvation and the encounter that I had with God and what was said there and how it changed everything for me. That's my starting place. That's my cornerstone. That's my Gilgal. The other thing that Gilgal means, the actual literal translation means rolled away. At Gilgal, it says rolled away. And what happened is Joshua said to them, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away, I have taken away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal today. What Gilgal means is you're no longer defined by your past. You have a new beginning. You have a new beginning. So wherever you are today, if you're saved and you look back on that spot, that's your starting spot. If you're here today and you realize you don't have a relationship with God, you need to have that kind of experience with God.
because that's where we start. Amen? Number two in your notes, at the next stop was Bethel. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. I will not leave you. And what does Bethel mean? Well, the first time we see Bethel is when Jacob had an encounter at Bethel. And the word talks about this in Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 19. Jacob had left Beersheba and he set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And during the night at that place, he had an encounter with God. And the Lord said to him, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And listen to this last statement. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. What Bethel represents is the house of God. Jacob got up that next morning and he built an altar. And at that place, he called it Bethel, which means house of God. What that means in your notes, in your blanks there, is the house of God. It also means rest and encouragement. Bethel means the house of God, rest and encouragement. And I love what Jacob said. He said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. How awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God. You know, Bethel was an important place geographically because later the Israelites took the Ark of the Covenant and that's where the Ark of the Covenant stayed, was at Bethel. It represented God's presence with them. That's what it represented. And as I was reading and studying, I I came across where King David had said this in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. The first stage we go through is salvation. The second stage we go to is the desire to be in God's presence. We have to desire to be in God's presence. And some of you are are right now in that place where you know you're saved, but you've not had an encounter with God in a long time, and you need an encounter with God. And I want you to understand something, and I think Bethel shows us that. God's not tied to a geographic location. God's not tied here. You can have an encounter with God in a deer stand. I think you can have an encounter with God at a shoe store. I don't know. I'm just... I know Satan's there. (laughs) I'm sorry. Christy, you can get me for that later. (laughs) But, But the truth is, you can have an encounter with God anywhere. And it doesn't have to be, I've got to get to such and such place to have an encounter with God. Trisha said it. Said it exactly right this morning. God's where you are. He can be in your car. He can be at Walmart. He can be at school. He can be on a football field. God is where you are, but you have to stay. Here's the key. You have to slow down long enough to listen to him. Many of us are so busy running and doing and going that God's speaking to us, but we're too busy to hear him. And we feel like, well, I'm going to go Sunday and get my fill of God, and it doesn't work that way. I'm not saying you don't encounter God here. God is in this place because we are in this place. We are the church. It's not a building. 
But you have to slow down long enough. And some of the reasons, for some of you, the reason you have not had more encounters with God is that you're not taking enough time to have an encounter with God. He wants to listen to you. He wants to have a relationship with you. More importantly, he wants to speak to you. So you need to have a Bethel. You need to realize that there's a place that God wants to meet with you, and it's usually right where you are. But you have to take the time. Amen? And here's number three. You're going to love this one. Jericho. We all know about Jericho, don't we? The, remember, they crossed into the promised land. They went to Gilgal. Now, hey, we're in the promised land, and they run into Jericho. Big walls, big, I mean, Jericho is an immovable object. And here they are. And, and I love the way God does things. He sends an angel to speak with them. And Joshua's talking to the angel. He said, all right, what's the battle plan? And, and the angel of the Lord lays out the battle plan. And the battle plan encompasses walking around and blowing trumpets. And I want to tell you something. Is that a good battle plan? <laughs> Let me tell you what Jericho represents. Jericho represents walking by faith. Jericho represents walking by faith. Because I'm going to give you a, a news flash right here. here. Here, are you ready? This is big stuff, so everybody get ready for this. If you've not encountered a Jericho, you will. And if you've been saved for any period of time, you can list your Jerichos. <laughs> Jericho can be a bad doctor's report. Jericho can be when, when a marriage breaks up. Jericho, Jericho can be when a child wanders away. Jericho can be a hard time at, at work. Jericho can be a lot of things. And it's not age-specific either. Jericho's happen all during your life. But I want to tell you something. Jericho's also happen sometimes by design. Because here's the deal. Most of us need God when we're in what? Trouble. Right? You know... If, if I added up all the time you spend with God during the week when things are going good, and then I add up all the time you spend with God when things are hard, what's the difference? See, the reality is when times are tough, people turn to God. When things are easy, they don't. And the Scripture talks about that a lot. God says in His Word, when it gets good, don't forget me. Because what happens when it gets tough is we turn to him. And if we're going to have a relationship with him, we need to have encounters with him often. We need to have Bethel experiences with God often. Because the reality is Jericho's coming. And you're going to beat a Jericho. And then you're going to go on down the road to another Jericho. Because that's how life is. But here's the cool thing about Jericho's. God is going to show up and take control of Jericho. God can handle Jericho. And the reality is, when, when Joshua sat down and waited for this strategic battle plan, I can guarantee you what he was thinking. I'm going to need this many men. We're going to probe the wall and find out where their weakness is. We're going to under the cover of the darkness. I mean, he had this military strategy, right? And God said, no, I want you to walk around and blow trumpets. Why? Because he, <laughs> you can't get glory from blowing around blowing trumpets. But God can. And God showed them at that place that I am bigger than any problem you will ever have. And no matter what situation you're facing right now, when you're looking at your Jericho and you're going, I have no idea how to beat this, God's saying, come talk to me and I'll tell you how to do it. And he will. But you know something that's interesting about Joshua? Think about this for a minute. Joshua didn't just sit down and start writing out his battle plan. 
the first thing that Joshua did is he went and asked God what God wanted to do about his situation. What about you? When you're faced with a challenge, what's the first thing you do? Do you panic and run? Or do you turn to God? I mean, how many times in the scriptures have we seen it? Nehemiah did the same thing. You know, anytime there was a challenge, the first thing that Nehemiah did is he asked God what God wanted to do about it. I've learned in my own life, if I'll ask God first, I'll create a lot less messes. Anybody else? How good are you at fixing your own problems? How's that working out for you? You know, and I want to tell you, it doesn't get any easier as you get older in the faith. You have to realize because you get a level of spiritual maturity and you feel like, well, I can fix this. This is no big deal. And then it turns into a big deal. I know that if I try to help Trisha make a cake. How hard can this be? You know, you got your wheat and your oil, WD-40 and whatever else you got to put in it. You know, I mean, how hard can this be? But if you mess any of those ingredients up, put them in the wrong order, do anything wrong, you're going to mess up, and now you've got a mess, right? It's the same way in our situations in life. If we'll do things God's way, he'll fix the problems for us a lot easier. And the truth is, too, he's always building your faith. Jerichos are meant to build your faith. Amen? Number four. This is the eternal principle of the Jordan River. And then Elijah said to him, said to Elisha, this is their last stop. He said, stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two walked on and that was the last test that Elisha had to pass. I want to tell you what the Jordan represents. The Jordan represents death and resurrection. And not necessarily death physically. I'm going to talk about that, something that Jesus said. But I'm talking about death to yourself. You know, what I talked about at the beginning of the sermon about the, the young man that just received the uh, award from the National Basketball Association, this guy that's accomplished this great goal, what set him apart is that he disciplined himself. He really died to his own desires. I mean, how, I mean, is there anybody in here that wants to just can't wait to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and go work out? You know, Dennis, Lord, I just thank you for Dennis today and forgive him, Lord, for he knows not what he does. <laughs> but, the reality, but the reality is, you know, there's many of us that, that know we need to do things and then we don't do them. And then we don't accomplish what God wants us to, to accomplish, and then we're frustrated. And the reason that we are is because we don't die to our flesh. It's a lot easier not to get up. It's a lot easier to eat the Twinkie. You've heard me talk about Twinkies before. That's easy. But if we want to accomplish anything in life, what we need to realize that the restraints are really put on by ourselves and that God has set us free. Jesus said, I came to set you free. And we can become the people that he wants to be, but we have to die to ourselves. This is what Jesus had to say about it. In John 12, verse 23 through 26, that's what Jesus said. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. 
But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now listen to this. We all understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, look, I have to die. And when I die, I'm going to reproduce like myself. But he goes on and he says this. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. And I thought that was so interesting when I read that because I realized what Jesus was saying here is that the Jordan River, we have to die to our old way of life and we have to walk in the new way of life that God's calling us to walk in. And that means we have to die to ourselves. And we think of Jesus doing that, but Jesus is saying very clearly right here that we have to do that too. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is what the Scripture is saying. If you want to become the person that God's calling you to be, you're going to have to die to yourself. That means some of the things in your flesh that you want to do, you're going to have to lay down at the throne of God. When I say that to you, that can sound very religious, can't it? I don't mean that to be very religious. And, and, and I don't think, I know Jesus didn't mean it to be very religious. He's giving us a key to living a fulfilled life. And what he's saying is, if you want to become the person that I've created you to be, you're going to have to die to some of your fleshly desires. You're going to have to lay some of those aside if you want to truly have life. And I, and I want you to understand today, some of you are thinking, great, I have to lay down all the desires of my life and go live in a hut somewhere and serve God. That's not what he's calling you to. What he's calling you to is to give him the option is waking up in the day, waking up in the morning and saying, God, what do you want to do with me today? Today I give you my life. And tomorrow it's doing the same thing. It's not a one-time deal. It's constantly. Paul talked about that, that he was striving for the goal that Christ had laid out for him, and he was constantly striving. And that's how it is in our Christian walk. It's a journey. Salvation is a one-time event. Sanctification or walking out, becoming the person that God wants you to be, takes the rest of your life. And it's an everyday thing. It's not a one-time thing. So where are you in the process? Have you had your experience with God where you, you're saved? If you have, have you had an experience of God where you're in your Bethel experience with him? Do you go to God and you spend time with God where you're encouraged, where you're in God's presence? And I want to tell you, I don't want to overlook that because many of us don't go there. And I tell you all the time, but you've got to get it down in your heart, is that you've got to have experiences with God apart from just here. You need to be spending time with God during the week. You need to come to Sunday school class tonight and get involved in a class. You need to make effort to become the person that God wants you to be. And he will help you do that. You're going to have Jerichos, and some of you are having Jerichos right now. You're facing a situation that you don't know how to defeat it. You're looking at a wall that's 30 foot tall and 10 foot deep, and you have no idea how in your physical self you're going to move it. I want you to understand something. God can destroy that wall. But you have to let him do it, and you have to do it his way, not your way. And finally, you have to learn to die to yourself. And I want to tell you, that, that is a hard thing to do. Because that means what you're doing is you're giving the reins over to God and saying, God, you're in control. There was a book written many, many years ago. It says, God is my co-pilot. If God is your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. 
If God's your co-pilot, you need to change spots. You need to let God fly. And you need to sit there and you need to do what he wants you to do. I know enough about flying to know that if I'm my own pilot, sooner or later I'm going to run into the ground. But if I let God fly, he knows what's ahead. He made the airplane. He knows how to fly it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that each one of us are in different phases of our life. And I know there are people here today that need a touch from you, God. They need an encounter with you. And, Lord, I pray that wherever they are in these stages, that you would touch them. And I want to start here today. If you're here today and you're at a Jericho place in your life, you're facing some challenges that you don't know how to overcome. And you need God's help. I want you to to know you're in the right place today. And if our prayer partners will come forward right now, if you're here and you're facing a challenge, whatever it is, and you just want somebody to agree with you in prayer, you just need somebody to come alongside you and pray with you. Say, Pastor, I've got a Jericho. Today's your day. Just step out and come down. We're going to agree with you in prayer. Just come down and say, that's me, Pastor. Amen. Whatever that challenge is, we're here for you. Nobody's going to judge you in this place. We're family here. Or maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, the reality is I've never had that first experience. I have never had an encounter with God. I have never made Jesus my Lord and Savior. I've never received salvation. Well, if that's you today, today's your day. And whatever the challenge is that you're facing there, you know that you need to surrender your heart to God. You know that God's calling you. If that's you, just slip out of the aisle and come down and we're going to pray with you. Don't hold back. Today is your day. Today is your day. Maybe you're here today and you just want to experience God's presence again. You want to feel that refreshing again. You want God's hand on you again. Well, you're in the right place for that too. Today, you just want a fresh touch from God. I want you to come down. We're going to pray for you also. And finally, if you're here today, and your life is not going like you want it to, frankly, you've been doing your own thing, and Jesus... Jesus is your Savior, but you're not allowing Him to lead you day to day. You're really living your own life, and you're just allowing God to be a part of it. And you realize today that you need to make Him Lord, that you need Him to be in charge. You need to die to yourself. If that's you today, just step out and come down. We want to pray for you today, too. Today is the day that you just want to say, Lord, you are Lord. If you're there, let's say you're not at one of those spots. I want you to pray for those that are up here. Pray for those that are here today.
you're here today and you have a need in your body physically, I want you to come down and pray for you. I want you to know today that God is real and he has a plan for your life that's bigger than anything you can imagine and it's not something that you need to be scared of but the person that you you want to be is just on the other side of the door and and God said this he said I've given you two doors he made it real simple for us giving you two doors there's death, cursing, and he said, and there's life, and life abundantly. And so you're sitting out there today and you're saying, well, that's easy, I'm gonna choose life. But I want you to know the way that happens is the daily decisions that you make. What are you doing today? What are you doing today? Choose life. Choose life. God has a plan for you. Choose life. Amen.
sing that all together. I will exalt you. You are my God, my hiding place, my safe refuge, my treasure, Lord, you are my tender King, anointed one, most I'll stand this morning. Lord, I thank you that you're God. And I thank you that you have a plan for each of our lives. And you have a purpose for each of us. And Lord, you love us with a love that's beyond our understanding. When we're at our worst, you love us. When we're at our best, you love us. And your love never changes for us. And I pray, Father, that as we leave this place today, we'll be reminded that you love us. And Lord, as we leave here, help us to be your hands and feet. There's a world that's hurting and dying out there. Lord, lead us across people's path that need your love, need your hand, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I want to give you one quick praise report, and then I'll let you go because I forgot to do it earlier. We raised about $4,000 for the backpacks this week. So we are, we are well on our way, and uh, there's a sign-up sheet at the information booth back here. If you want to be part of the backpack outreaches uh, in any kind of involvement, you need to sign up. There's going to be a meeting here in a couple of weeks, so make sure you sign up for that. But 